This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. One-timer coming, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perrix! Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it! He scores! And everything from the state of hockey. St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. to episode number 62 of the Huskies Warming House podcast. I'm Noah Grant, joined alongside my co-host and Nick Maxson. Nick, happy Sunday to you. Not a happy Sunday for Minnesota Wild fans, unfortunately. We're going to touch on them in the extra ice session about what it means for their playoff hopes, currently down 3-1 to one in the series at this time of recording. A very quick Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup we'll hit you with, as well as some great information as we start off our NCHC previews for the next seven weeks here. The Colorado College Tigers are on the docket for us and we're excited to get to them and we won't leave you waiting starting off with the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Center Ice View news and notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos and more. Go to centericeview.com. First item of discussion here, Noah, in the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup, the playoffs underway in the NHL. And as we all know, it's heightened intensity, it's heightened speed, more importantly, heightened physicality. And for players that are already playing banged up, and for those that maybe got through the regular season unscathed, injuries do certainly amount here in the NHL playoffs. Uh, the biggest one here the last week was a Toronto captain John Tavares who was clipped in the head uh, by the knee of Corey Perry after he was taken down in the middle of the ice. Uh, Tavares was transported to a local hospital in Ontario when he spent overnight uh, undergoing some tests but it looks like he came back all clear uh, but Tavares is out indefinitely with what appears to be a concussion. It's also a knee injury that was uh, found on the Toronto captain. Uh, the Minnesota Wild will be without forward Marcus Johansson, who suffered a broken arm after running into the net in game three against the Vegas Golden Knights. Among the smaller uh, bang-ups here, Washington is still missing net minor Vitek Vanacek after he strained his lower body back in game one against the Boston Bruins, who currently have a three-to-one series lead over the Washington Capitals. Finally, Justin Falk is questionable after taking a high hit from Colorado forward Nazem Kadri in game two of last week. That hit did earn Kadri a eight-game suspension from the Department of Player Safety, and Falk did not return from game three into the St. Louis lineup. Yeah, that John Tavares one, Nick, I tell you what, that one was that one was nasty. But uh, two weeks at least he'll be out, if not more. A bevy of hirings and extensions also occurred around the National Hockey League and the hockey world last week. Vancouver extended head coach Travis Green for multiple years, despite a sub-500 record this past season. In the same boat is Detroit, who inked head coach Jeff Blagel to an extension as well. 
On the front office side, the New Jersey Devils added former U.S. Olympian Megan Duggan as the manager of player development. She joins former U.S. teammates Kendall Coyne-Schofield and Cami Granado, and also Canadian rivals Haley Wickenheiser and Danielle Goyette in NHL coaching or management jobs. Schofield joined Chicago in November as their player development coach. Granado is a pro scout for Seattle, and Goyette joined Toronto as director of player development because Haley Wickenheiser, who we touched on last week, was promoted to senior director in that department in the past week. Finally, ESPN announced that Leah Hextall will be the first female play-by-play voice that will be regularly involved in a national TV broadcast for the NHL. Hextall most notably called the recent five-overtime game between North Dakota and Duluth in the NCAA regionals. The NHL also announced the final lottery percentages for this year's upcoming entry draft. The Buffalo Sabres have the best odds at 16.6%, followed by the Anaheim Ducks, the Seattle Kraken, and the New Jersey Devils, all of whom have a over 10% odd. Columbus is the fifth team to run out the package, and these odds are based on the inverse order of the regular season standings. The expansion, Seattle Kraken, will get the third best odds, just as the Vegas Gold Knights did in 2017 during their inaugural campaign. The lottery will be held on June 2nd. The draft is scheduled for July 23rd through 24th. There isn't a consensus number one pick in this year's draft, but uh, Michigan defenseman Owen Power is considered by many to be the top player available for those teams in this upcoming draft. One rule affecting the draft does include the last class team now with the changes cannot draft lower than third overall, meaning that Buffalo can pick no worse than third this draft. Previously, though, to picked fourth overall despite having the best odds in the entry draft last season and our final topic nick sticking out east and in the southeast i should say keith yandel missed game three for the florida panthers but his ironman streak is still alive yandel owns the second longest ironman streak in nhl history having played 922 consecutive regular season games the streak is still alive since it's a playoff game according to sportsnet's elliot friedman Yandel registered 27 points in 56 games this season. However, Wednesday's game will mark the first time Yandel has been scratched in an NHL contest since 2009. Doug Jarvis holds the current Ironman record at 964 games. Once again, welcome into episode number 62 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Nick, uh, welcome in on this Sunday, a little bit earlier than usual, not by much, but uh, yeah, we're, we're up and at it this Sunday, although I'm really excited. Monaco Grand Prix is going on in Formula One here. Max Verstappen's in the league. Got to like that at this current time anyway. Uh, and I get to skate twice today. So how about that? I'm excited about today on Sunday, besides the fact I kind of edit this darn thing. But Nick, I know you're working today, but what's been going on in your world and uh, how have you been? Uh, doing pretty well. Uh, summer classes have finally started. I'm taking mm-hmm. a summer class uh, just to try to alleviate some, uh, some of my busyness as, uh, you know, no other, it's where is this is going to be to sound. And it, it sounds weird for probably a lot of people is, you know, for those, I have a very intriguing personal story that got me to this point. Um, I'm not going to go through that all, but uh, part of that has been, you know, getting having, I guess you could say tunnel vision to get to what, what should be my graduation in 12 months. Um, it's odd in my brain to be in this position because there was a point in time where I never thought I'd be in this spot. And so looking ahead, Ed and looking, try to look at, you could say month 13, which is not something I've really looked forward to 
very, it's just, it's just very in depth uh, to try to give myself the best chance to concentrate on what that next step might be in the spring. I'm taking some classes now to try to lighten the load for uh, this upcoming fall and spring. So that way, uh, whatever decision I have to make for employment, hopefully, which will be in the sports broadcasting world, then I have plenty of time to, uh, to make the necessary trips, to meet the necessary people and to make a decision based on those. Yeah. I, I mean, I know your story, um, or at least I think I know your story. Um, and it's, I, um, it, it, it's quite, it's been quite the journey for you. I think that that's putting it lightly. Um, and I'm excited in some ways to, to see you hit that point. I'm also like, um, not that I imagine we're going to be doing this forever, but it's also interesting to think about where you're going to be in 12 months related to this. I think you and I have talked about like our goal is to get through the season the upcoming season and then kind of reevaluate, you know, who knows, you might be in <laughs> Florida covering basketball or something crazy like that. You know, like th this, this career will take you in crazy places. So um, yeah, I'm excited for you to, to get to that point. Um, how are summer classes that have started? This is the first summer in five summers now that I have not had summer classes for my program. I've just been working straight up doing marketing. So um, how are your classes going? Uh, not bad. This is actually my first time taking summer classes. Um, again, it's I mean, just because of how busy uh, I, I think people in my major are just be, you know, you have your classes and you have the extracurriculars it just never stops. Uh, it, it just feels like the training just keeps rolling. The good news about the classes, excuse me, that I'm taking is that they're asynchronous um, and they're all online right now. So for, can, for, the, for those who don't know, asynchronous means that he doesn't have to show up for class as long as he does the assignments by X date or X time. So I just right. didn't know if anybody didn't know that because asynchronous classes are the best until you forget about an assignment. <laughs> yep. So there's, you know, uh, you know, certain things in a certain order. And as long as you, you know, essentially there's the two tests, I believe that just have more of a stricter take by dates per se, but there's no, like you said, there's no scheduled class times. You log in, you do the materials on your own time when it's most convenient. You do the assignments, all that good jazz. So it, it especially for someone like me, who's uh, uh, can be busy quite a few, a uh, little bit at a time. So it, it helps me be able to do it when I feel like I, I can sit down and actually commit the time to it. So it's actually, a, it's a nice little, uh, yeah thing for me and i think uh, for folks who are looking to try to either take out some stress for the fall or the spring for next year whether it's a major thing you need it or not i think it's a it's a cool just to kind of get ahead yeah in fact i don't even know um i can't even think of many summer classes you can take that are synchronous classes right um i do remember a couple of years ago i took an ethics class that was a two-week class in the summer so it would be done um we went for, what was it like four or five hours a day for like two straight weeks. And that was the class that like crammed an entire 16 week class into that like section. It, it was crazy. So um, yeah, I wish you the best of luck in your summer classes. Um, and yeah, I, I, I guess I don't have anything else to add on that, but speaking of schools and classes, Nick, uh, we got a kind of an interesting little tidbit uh, from one of our fans here. Uh, and I'm going to read the tweet here. This comes from David Amber on Twitter. And it says, some exciting news out of Nashville as Tennessee State University is exploring the possibility of becoming the first HBCU to begin a men's and women's hockey program. TSU is partnering with the NHL, the Predators, and College Hockey, Inc. How about that? Uh, we've seen a couple of rumblings of teams potentially going to the Division One level. We're seeing teams adding the game of hockey, especially in a place like Nashville. I know we touched a lot on the Alabama-Huntsville section 
right uh, last year. Uh, how exciting uh, do you think it would be to see a couple of teams out in the Music City that would partner with the National Predators who had a pretty thrilling double overtime victory against the Carolina Hurricanes the other night? Well, you know, we talk about the expansion of the game quite a bit, Noah, and I think anytime the conversation is, especially in what I think we would call in a non-traditional market, such as, especially in a state like Tennessee, right? Um, yeah, that's always exciting news because, you know, you start filling in the gaps a little bit. It's almost like you know, you're tracing some of those, like, you know, connect the dot puzzles, right? The more dots that you can scatter around the clearer the picture of interest in the United States will be. And, uh, you know, let's be frank. I mean, you can connect this to the growth of the game in Nashville, who I, I still remember was a 2017 uh, in their cup run or is it 2016? Yep, 17. Um, 17. It was 17. I um, still remember in that game where they, they had a legitimate chance to push it to seven games and it, Ran into a good goaltender. Good goaltender. But with that being said, um, when they were showing some of you know, those community shots of when they shut down, I think that was, is that Broadway Avenue? That's in front of uh, Nashville Arena. Yeah. I mean, they estimate over a million people were outside that building. It was ruckus. And honestly, I mean, that's a positive sign. But the bigger positive sign is this, is when you're starting to see youth programs emerge, such as, you know, college programs. And hopefully there's even more youth programs. Now, to be fair to your your description we do not know because they didn't mention specifically um is it going to be a club team is it going to be a sanctioned division one program that's yet to be you know actually announced but having that conversation is hey i think we should be starting a hockey program that's a good first step as you and i both know one of the biggest challenges thinking about hockey is its expenses uh so we'll have to kind of see how they uh you know kind of plan for that and more so how do they plan for a long-term sustainability of a program? As we know, the element Huntsville, as we discussed earlier, um, was really trying to figure that out last season when they originally started the program, it was saved, but then the conversation kind of be, you know, we can't just save this for one year. How do we get this to be saved for the next five to 10 years? So be a story to follow. Uh, either way, it's great news for the, uh, say, uh, for the game of hockey. Yeah, I agree. I've actually been on that strip. It's actually that, like you mentioned, that street is right next to the Country Music Hall of Fame, kind of kitty quarter in Bridgestone Arena. Um, and just what a great place to <laughs> create a rock and atmosphere. Uh, also, I mean, I had a couple of friends who played at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, um, and they partnered with the Vegas Golden Knights in, in their facilities as well. It's always nice to see uh, NHL teams and, you know, sometimes college teams or, or higher up teams, if you will, in general, partner with their communities to continue to create a sustainable future for the game of hockey. I think that's the part that's most exciting to me and really exciting to look forward to. Speaking of looking forward to things, Nick, we've got an exciting lineup uh, coming to you for the Huskies Warming House podcast. We'll announce this at the end of the show again, but Josh Fenton is set to join us next week, albeit he's going to join us Wednesday night. So it is likely um, not confirmed, but likely that the Healthy Scratch interview segment for this upcoming week will probably be on Thursday morning. I'm going to imagine um, just because of the timing, because I guess Josh, I guess he's a busy guy. I guess he's some commissioner or something. I don't know. Um, of course, the NCHC commissioner is joining us. And then Brett Larson, I think, is going to make a return, potentially bringing Scott Sandlin with him. We're going to see how that all shakes out. But he's definitely got some cool things to talk about with the golf tournament, some fundraising and things like that as well. Before we jump into Colorado College, one last thing here, Nick. Um, we had a trivia question that had some controversy here. Um, <laughs> and I got, I got this controversy. You don't say, yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, and I, I pulled this information from the NCHC page of college hockey news. And so I assumed that this was the conference records that they had for the little table here. I think it might've been the overall records, which might've been the discrepancy, but nonetheless, it's interesting to talk about. So the question did read, albeit 
potentially falsely. <laughs> Colorado, well, this is true. Colorado College is the only NCHC team in all eight years of league existence to have a sub 500 winning percentage. However, name the other teams that have been sub 500. I said in conference play, I think it was overall during the at least four of the eight seasons of league history. Any idea who the other teams that would be in that ballpark would be? Well, number one, that has to be Miami. Yep. Uh, also, Nebraska Omaha has to be there. See, that's where the controversy came in. Because if you go for conference only, the NCHC website says that Omaha has four of those seasons. But apparently, if you go for overall, which I guess that's what the actual page down there was, I had Omaha at three. So that's where the, the breakdown was. But nonetheless, yep, you're in the ballpark, and you got one other team that's there as well. Oof. A team, I, a, te- a team that was a real thorn in St. Cloud State's side this year. I was going to say it had to have been Western Michigan because the other ones, I just can't see them being sub 500. Yeah. So like I said, um, I said conference play. Carl Tillerson was our winner. Congratulations, Carl. I think that uh, potentially it might've been regular season. So um, I don't know. It was under the NCHC page of College Hockey News. So that's, that's my fault if that's the case. But nonetheless, according to the data that they have, CC eight sub 500 season since the NCHC has been around. That's tough. Uh, Miami at seven, Western at four, Omaha at three, St. Cloud has two Denver, I guess, according to this, that was their first sub 500 season since the NCHC's inception last year, Duluth and North Dakota are both at zero. Duluth has had exactly one straight 500 season and Omaha has had two of those seasons where they've been exactly 500. Colorado College has come close a couple of times. They've had, as have Miami, they've had a couple of seasons where they missed out on that fourth place spot by essentially a win being kind of clogged up in the middle there. So uh, they're looking for their big bounce back uh, year or that year that really kind of takes them to to the next step here. So let's jump right into that, Nick, shall we? Uh, the Colorado College Tigers are the first team on our NCHC preview here from the Huskies Warming House podcast. Um, fun fact about the Colorado College Tigers, Nick, is they did have some turnover with their coaching staff after Mike Havlin's departure. Does the name Scott Owens mean anything to you? Do you remember who Scott Owens was? That name does ring a bell, but if, for... If you saw a picture of him, I think you'd remember curly hair, glasses, uh, about as old school as they get. Anyway, he was the longtime coach at Colorado College, uh, the longest tenured and winningest coach in Colorado College history. 324 wins in the program over 15 seasons, becoming the head coach in 1999. 16 All-American selections, two Hobie Baker winners. And they averaged 22 victories per season. And the 2004-05 team had a program best, 31 victories and advanced to the Frozen Four, three regular season championships in the WCHA, and seven NCAA tournaments. You're looking at me going, why the heck are you telling me all of this, Noah? Scott Owens, longtime Colorado College coach, was inducted in the 2021 Colorado, Colorado Spring Sports Hall of Fame class this past week. So I thought that was kind of interesting as we move into Colorado College here. Uh, that they have some history that they were able to celebrate a little bit. You're like, what tangent is this kid going on? So next the ship, right? The ship. <laughs> okay. We'll start before we get to coaches. Let's start with the overall here for CC. So I can get your opinion real quickly here. Colorado college finishing four seventeen and two overall with a minus 43 goal differential last year, 1.3 goals per game, 3.4 goals against 5% power play, 70% on the PK. Their leading scorers, Josiah Slavin, Ben Copeland, and Grant Crookshank at 13 points, 11 and 10. Of course, Crookshank missed seven games respectively on top of that as well. And then their next two players are tied at six total points for last season. 
Nick, we got to see this Colorado College team put up a pretty darn good fight against St. Cloud State in the NCHC playoffs in the first round, seeing their season end with a 2-1 victory for the Huskies. What was your overall impression of the CC team? They missed a couple of games because of COVID as well. Um, but what was your impression of them? And what are your kind of your overall thoughts as you uh, wrap up the season for them? Uh, so a couple of things. Uh, first of all, CC under Mike Havland, uh, the now departed head coach, um, with their roster, there wasn't anybody really on their roster over the last many seasons. And it's not a, I'm not trying to, you know, come down on Colorado College. There's, there's plenty of reasons for they have an extra difficult time recruiting. We'll get to that here in just a moment. Um, but they played a style of play that they had to play due to the lack of star power. They had to play more of a trap like neutral zone. They had to be opportunistic um, to be competitive. And it's weird to think that, you know, as you brought up some Owen Power statistics, this program used to be one of the most perennial um, hockey teams in all, you know, in all of the college hockey world for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's weird to think that now, you know, it's since the NCHC's inception, it has not had a single winning season. Um, and, you know, it, it's tough for them. You know, you, you, when you really break down as to where this team is at, and I think we will do that here in a second, um, you know, I have to, you have to tip your hat to this, especially the players in the CC squad. Um, they never gave in. They battled hard. They made life a living. You know what to all the teams that they played against. They just lacked the higher end skill that other teams in this conference really, um, you could say, you know, just continue to reload every single year. And so it's tough. They're in a tough spot. And it really sounds like right now with uh, some of the transition things with the new arena and now a new head coach, which we'll touch on here later, that I think this program is really looking for a, a more of a transition time to try to get back into a little bit more of a, a competitive program rather than just being where they have been the last few seasons. Yeah, a lot of turnover, uh, both player-wise and coaching-wise. The brand-new coaching staff coming in, we're going to get to them in a second. I think the one that, uh, if you're Colorado College, the one that really bites is uh, Junior Grant Crookshank uh, transferring to Minnesota. That one hurts uh, because there's a guy, he's kind of that, I guess if you're talking in NHL terms, kind of that cornerstone piece that you like to build around. Um, This is going to be a group that is going to be very young, um, and it's also going to be a group that uh, is going to have contribute, have to have contributions from those younger players. Um, and I think the biggest thing we talk in St. Cloud State Hockey all the time about setting that culture, right? Setting that precedent. We think back to St. Cloud in the early 2000s, right? L- known a little bit more of a party school, you know, had a couple of winning seasons. Maybe wasn't the most, I don't want to say the not the most desirable place to go, but there were other places in the WCHA that players maybe had on their radar before they had St. Cloud State. Now, if you go into the recruiting process, I bet you Brett Larson is getting phone calls left and right for players trying to get in a Husky sweater because of the way that this program has been built, especially within the NCHC, continuing to grow, having successful seasons. So, you know, it's not like it's not like Colorado College is going to be, you know, in the cellar forever, you know, but it all starts with a culture change, that culture mindset. You see that with the, the turnover with the three coaches that are now coming in. You see that with a wave of fresh young bodies that maybe give a new perspective, a new fresh face, have a little bit of jump, a little bit of energy. And for lack of a better term, don't know what it's feet, what it feels like uh, to, to lose a lot. Uh, unfortunately, you know, it's sometimes it's difficult to look at the Jack Eichel situation, for example, sometimes it's easy sometimes to get into that mindset where you're scratching and clawing, but it sucks to lose hockey games. Like it, there's no way around it. It just sucks. But when you look at CC 
and the infusion of new blood, the old blood going out, Nick, um, didn't have a whole lot to offer. I think the other two departures that hurt Zach Berzola, um, of course, Huskies fans will know him well with that knee, a knee hit, uh, of course, with uh, Vietti Mietnin, but he had a great campaign, signed with the Hart, Hartford uh, Wolfpack in the AHL, and then sophomore Josiah Slavin signed with the Chicago Blackhawks. So there's your other two departures there. Four graduates, Nick, four graduates, a combined two points total between four of them. So that's where, that's where I'm I talking inter- about. I want to interject here real quick. Um, it's really hard, and, and this is the part when you have a program where it is, is that when, this, when you talk about a team that has never had a winning record, it's so hard to judge who the player is in a system under a coaching staff that they have been. Um, I don't, you know, I think it is fair to say, yes, they've had two points, but I think it's also clear to say that, you know, the question could be asked, what could these players have done under the new regime? Yeah, coming and, in? And, that, and, that's, and that's not a knock on them. I think it's more a testament to th- there's, there's a continuation or continuing need for this program to continue to try to elevate that game. So like you have McKay Flanagan and Brian Williams, they were guys who really kind of were on the bubble, if you will, only played a handful of games this year. So those are your first two departures. And then Troy Conzo and Jack Cates played 14 and 15 games respectively. And Troy Conzo had two points in those 15 games. So um, uh, yes, to your point, uh, it, this is not a, a knock on the players. I think it's just, again, a positioning of what does Troy Conzo look like for the University of North Dakota? What does he like you know, look like for a team that maybe is higher up in the standings? But again, to your point, Nick, where does this team go from there? And what do they take away from this senior group that is leaving that gave them a valiant effort, but maybe didn't have the results they were expecting? 100%. And I think, you know, especially when you have coaches turnover, um, we saw this with, um, with Motsko, you know, there was, there were, there were commits that had not signed their NLI that, uh, you know, switched their commitments to, um, a different university. We'll leave it at that. Um, so, you know, at the end of it, that's, you know, that's the power of the coach. Cause when you when you get recruited, right. No one's that yet yeah, the, the coach is selling you the university, but the really what he's doing, he's selling you himself. Um, or I should say herself, depending on who it is. So at the end of it, you know, it's not surprising that some of these uh, players transfer not, you know, and yes, to some of them, you're transferring to a more, you know, you could say a more successful program in recent years. But, you know, if your coach that spent all the time and to visit mom and dad and you at, at home in a different state, and you know, even though that the results went there, you may be respected or appreciated the, uh, the coach that he was in Mike Havlin. Um, at that point, if you lose your coach, now you're left with a spot where it's, well, I got a year or two left, or maybe I have three years left. Who knows? Um, again, everybody that played this year has an extra year of eligibility, not just the senior class. So they may think of it and go, well, I could be starting essentially my college career over somewhere else. Um, why not have a change of scenery if this, if this is the end of an era? So it's interesting. It's an interesting spot, but I do think Colorado College is, is making the right moves, especially now with the opening of a new arena. I think they know that with the money that was you know, spent and more so the money that was donated to build this, um, the results have to come with that because the results probably were part of the promise of building this new arena for those fans down there in Colorado Springs. Yeah, I, I think about the Colorado College Tigers and you look at the, their wins that they had this year and, and, and in years past, the past couple of years as well. They all, do they almost remind you in a sense 
of the Minnesota wild of years old and kind of the mid 20 teens where they played that kind of hard and heavy defensive structure and really tried to be that opportunistic team. And I think you and I would both agree as we're talking here, is it safe to say that our main point is how do we take that great defensive structure and turn it where it's almost, again, almost similar to the women's hockey team for St. Cloud State too. How do you continue to build that offense so that you're spending more zone time on the other half of the rink, if you will, um, and take that great defensive play and complement it with the ability to be on the attack a little bit more. Is that, is that fair to say? Well, there's two parts to that, right? Because you have to have the players that can execute that style of play as well. And I think it would be, and again, not a knock to the players that were on the past rosters of CC. I don't know if that roster, uh, you even this last season, was capable of being the, the pusher of the pace per se. Um, so it, it's going to take a couple of years now. Let's be honest, you have a new head coach. Hopefully he's got, you know, I think a whole new coaching staff, if I recall. Yep. Um, they're going to have quite the tough task here uh, the first couple of years because, again, you, you measure a coach, I think, in years three and four. And that means, you know, what have you done recruiting-wise? What has this program looked like? So even if they don't, say, win an NCHC championship or what, uh, if they're – now above 500, if they're actually beating teams on a consistent basis, like say Western Michigan, maybe they steal a couple from St. Cloud State, and even more so, let's say they go up to North Dakota and wax them and sweep them for a season. There's signs of success and progress you can look for, not just in their overall record, but the biggest thing for this new era of Colorado College Hockey is the recruiting. And I think this perfectly transitions to, I think, the biggest challenge of Colorado College, you know, and I think I need to discuss. Um, for recruiting, uh, it, remember, CC is a private school, and it's not a cheap one. So the, the problem with athletics and with universities in general, whether you're public or private, is um, your funding sources, especially from, say, the governments, are drying up. Um, and essentially, these athletic scholarships that are being offered by the school um, – come from a lot of, you know, tuition money, also with donations, right? So with CC, that's more expensive. That's not a lot of money per se to give to some of those top recruits. Uh, number two, if you want to play college hockey at CC and you don't get a half scholarship or full ride, um, it's a pretty tough sell to try to get them to pay 40 grand a year um, versus to go say St. Cloud, which is what, 12 or $13,000. So, so sometimes it comes down to money and CC is in a very unique position um, as far, I think, of any uh, team in the NCHC, where I think a lot of it can come down to the, um, the financial well-being of the student and their family to be able to afford uh, that experience down at CC. Um, with that being said, um, if you do you can combat that by finally finding success, right? If, if, it, if a program finally finds its footing, they start to win more games. In theory, that means your alumni starts to chip in more, that maybe the school chips in more money for certain things they have left board. So you can turn things around, but as we know with anything in life, it does not happen overnight. It's not a light switch. And um, really the, you know, the report card won't come out in the staff for under the three years. And that's 2024 at the very earliest, in my opinion. So um, it's going to be an interesting battle um, for uh, this new stuff coming in. But, you know, again, uh, recruiting is going to be the main number one priority for this squad moving forward to get somehow. And if, I don't know if you want to call steel, but, you know, again, the NCHC is a one hell of a recruiting base with all these teams. And uh, that's quite the competition. So you're going to have to try to steal some recruit stuff from some other schools if you want to try to climb back up in the standings.
Yeah, a great template, I think, to follow is Nebraska Omaha. There's a team that kind of plays a similar style as well and has really continued to build that success as we saw this past season. Uh, also adding, like you mentioned on that recruiting side, adding uh, for assistant coaches, former NHL at Mark Stewart, right? Former Colorado College Tiger as well. Excited to see him in the fold. And uh, Peter Menino, uh, uh, who recently completed his two-year stint uh, in Des Moines as the head coach there in the USHL. Prior to that, spent two years actually at UNO and four years during his playing career as a goaltender with the University of Denver and the Pioneers, uh, leading them to that Division One National Championship as a freshman in 2005 and was named MVP of the Frozen Four that season. So great. I always like assistant coaches that also, you know, you have a goaltender too. So you have um, a really great returning goaltender and um, in, uh, I forget his name. I, I always want to say Mike Vernon and it's not Mike Vernon. I don't have the roster pulled up here, Nick. Um, apologies I can't think of his first name right now but he's been he's played fantastic remember when he was playing against St. Cloud State in the NCHC playoffs there absolutely stood on his head uh I believe it's Matt Vernon if I'm not mistaken right Matt Vernon yeah Matt Vernon okay I, Mike Vernon Jesus Louise hashtag Calgary Flames anyway um and then of course the addition like you mentioned uh, that that biggest piece to um Chris Mayett um spent two seasons as an assistant coach at St. Lawrence under head coach Greg Carville who I heard had a pretty good year this year, winning a national championship with UMass. Uh, and most recently was with the University of Michigan for the past two seasons with head coach Mel Pearson and spent five years in Providence as well. Um, so Nick, you look at this coaching staff, right? They have the pedigree. Uh, they've been there as players. Of course, Mark Stewart in the NHL. Peter Menino had his time uh, with the New York Islanders organization. And you've got a new head coach that has spent time under coaches that have continued to develop their game into national champions or great programs. That Michigan program with Mel Pearson is in a really great spot to do some damage next year with the addition of a brand new coaching staff, if you will, what do these players have to look forward to? And what is the message from these three coaches as you head into the 2021, 22 season? Well, I think the message is easy, right? Um, first of all, uh, the new head coach for CC from everything that I've read is a guy that is similar to Brett Larson. That is a, a culture. He has built cultures everywhere he's gone. Um, and when you spend time under Greg Carville, who also preaches culture, he preaches the person over the skill. Um, I remember after the St. Cloud State Huskies, unfortunately, were the national runner up to, uh, to UMass there this last month. But a couple of his players said, you know, when, when Greg came in, he said it was about being, you know, being a good person and the hockey player comes second. And I think, you know, when you study under those types of people, um, you learn and you get, you earn the respect of your players. And I think that's going to be the biggest um, change possibly. Now, again, I've never heard anything negative about Mike Havlin in this program, um, but Mike Havlin's a little bit older. Uh, so I think, especially in today's, sporting world especially at the pro level college level i think a, a younger coach whether it's a head coach or an assistant coach noah um there's something about connecting with players and again Matt, he's a liberal arts major so uh, communications is is one of those kind of weird things where you know you have to be good at it i think one of the best anti-examples of that actually is former minnesota wildhead coach mike yo um i talked to him quite a bit wonderful human being, smart hockey guy. I think I've talked about him on the show before, but the one thing he could not figure out was to how to approach the personalities differently, how to connect and really just have his, like have them buy into what he wanted them to do. And I think that's going to be something that looks like Mayotte is really, really, really good at. So, and 
the message, simple. This is a new slate. That's the, that's the absolute message. And guess what? We're, we're done with being the worst team in the, in the NCHC. Um, it's not going to come overnight. And we're going to measure progress, not always by record, but how we are playing. And I think that's the biggest thing that, you know, he's going to have to push is, you know, can we expect CC to make a magic turnaround and be in the top four? No. Is it, you know, is it possible? Sure. Does it happen that quick? Not normally. Um, but you're going to have to find ways to measure success um, in different ways. And I think he will be able to communicate that. And, you know, I think the big part thing they have going for Colorado colleges, they're going to have a pretty good recruitment class coming in uh, a lot of Minnesota names. And we'll touch that here in a bit, but, to me, that's, that's how you have to sell it. We're selling this is a new era that, you know, you got to stay with us through a couple of years. We're not going to be able to build overnight. And if, you know, we all buy into what I think the way we can play the game, we're going to turn this program around. We're going to make some noise here in, in the best conference in all of college hockey. I like that. I would have two goals here. Just looking at the record. I think your first goal, get to five wins and then you focus on 10 wins because that's evidence of the process working to its fullest extent. Um, so that's where you take your model, like I'm talking about, uh, you know, with playing the right way and translating that into wins. I think that's where you start to see that, that piece. My second goal, I think is to have a, a goal differential, um, at minus 10 minus five or better right continually growing that pace because minus 43 that's that's a tough number that's a tough number over 22 games right so um or 23 i should say continuing to 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 grow in that area of like you mentioned even if we're not winning hockey games are we in those hockey games is it a 2-1 game is it a three 4-3 game are we in those games so i totally agree with you that creating that model of consistency and giving yourself a chance every night, especially with a gold goaltender like Matt Vernon can give you for the Colorado college tigers, just about five minutes left here in our coverage of CC here, Nick, looking at their schedule, two games starting off versus St. Lawrence at home in their new arena, two against union college at union one against Boston and Northeastern Boston uh, college, I believe. Um, and then two home and homes, versus Air Force, and they open NCHC play with St. Cloud State, playing every team four times except for Western Michigan and Duluth this year. And they've also got Arizona State for two games in December as well. Nick, looking at the freshman class and the transfer class, players that are coming in that can be those impact guys that are going to make a difference, uh, is there anybody that stands out to you? And, and more specifically, they've only got 21 players listed on their roster sheet on their website so far. So who is who are going to be some of the new additions that, that we're looking forward to? So uh, there's one that sticks out quite a bit because this person um, was an absolute beast in the Minnesota State High School Hockey Tournament. That's Brett Chorsky. Uh, yes, he is the son of another Chorsky who may have had an NHL career, may have won a Stanley Cup with Tampa, um, also is now part of the ownership group in the St. Cloud Norseman. Uh, he's been around, right? Uh, Brett Chorsky, a center from Edina. Um, they list him as six foot six at 190, and he's a centerman. Um, I don't know if he's that tall. I've never seen it, but let's just say he is right. I can't recall a forward for CC that's ever been that have had that size. And I will tell you what, watching Brett Chorsky throughout the Minnesota state high school hockey tournament, he has got the ability to take over a hockey game. Um, he is part of that new wave of skill. We were talking about that CC really needs to add to really compete in the NCHC tournament. So to me, if there's one guy to focus on, it's Brett Chorsky, he is as good as advertised. And again, 
you talk about how you win more hockey games. That comes from strength down the middle. Now, as a freshman, of course, you know, there's going to be, you know, uh, acclimating to the, the, the hockey world, the hockey speed, um, the physicality. But uh, he, to me, is going to be kind of that cornerstone piece that he, uh, this program really needs to build off of. Um, I know you talked about some other guys leading, but to me, it's going to be Brett Shorsky, 100%. I like that answer. You look on the back end as well. A guy I think Colorado College is looking to get back to form, if you will, uh, Brian Yoon. Uh, 43 points in his first two seasons. Unfortunately, you know, not the year that he was looking for last year as well. I think he, I don't know if he's battling some injury um, pieces with that as well, but uh, you look for him to return to form in his, what is listed as his senior season. But, uh, you know, who knows if he'll stay for an extra year on that. Um, as we wrap up our coverage here for the Tigers here, Nick, my last two questions are this. If you're Colorado College, what is, again, and you kind of touched on this, what is, what is the game plan for success for this group to have that success to stay in those hockey games? What is, what is, you know, what is their style of play have to be like? And then on the flip side, for St. Cloud State hockey fans, what is it going to take to beat this Colorado College Tigers team four times? It's the same answer um, for both. Uh, Colorado College, if there's one thing they've been known for the last, you know, how many years, and we've seen this, is they they don't they rarely get outworked. They work hard, and I think especially now in a transition time, they're going to add some skill. Yes, but I think for CC's game model, it's going to have to be working hard. They're going to have to win the board battles. To me, honestly, um, the skill will come, uh, but I think if you just create the identity that you know what we're we're a new face of this squad. Uh, we're going to, you know, even if we may not end up winning the game, we're certainly going to make life a living hell for you on the ice. I think that's going to be where it has to be. And for saying cloud, expect to come at, expect them to come at you. Um, I CC never, despite their record, I don't think they ever really looked at their own record in the mirror and said, that bothers me. They give a hell of an effort every night in and out. Um, look, I mean, look what they almost did to St. Cloud State, the NCHC um, playoffs. I mean, this team does not go down. And now with CC adding some more younger players in and adding some more skill in, I think what what color, what uh, St. Cloud State has to do to that is they're going to have to match and then outmatch that work ethic. Um, I think it's going to have to start there for CC. Uh, for St. Cloud, again, just simple plays. Uh, we talked about puck control. We talked about um, just smarts with the puck too for, for, for St. Cloud. I think that was one of the things that really drove St. Cloud State's run to the NCAA uh, championship game was just making smart decisions with the puck again with CC historically. Um, it's been a, a team that sort of makes you almost beat yourself sometimes. And I think for, for CC, that will probably continue at least a little bit until we see more of the influence on the new coaching staff. So I wouldn't expect a whole lot of change, but just know that when you come to the ring against the Tigers, be ready to work get your work boots on because it's going to require a full 60 minute effort. I like that. I think for me and the Colorado College Tigers, me and the Colorado, like we're, we're a package deal, can't you tell? Um, for the CC Tigers, I think uh, their goal for the season should be to complement their goaltending because you know you're going to get goal, good goaltending. You know you're going to get a, a goaltender that's going to give you a chance uh, most nights. Uh, complement that goaltending with either great defensive play or great offensive output. I think that's the goal is how do you build from the back end up? Uh, I think that's where your key to success comes from for the Tigers. And if you're St. Louis State, go back uh, just a year ago where they got absolutely walked over by Colorado College in their own building at the Herbrooks National Hockey Center. Um, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that was the first time that the Huskies had lost at home in regulation against an NCHC opponent or an opponent in general, um, or maybe NCHC as well, um, in a while, you, you know, 
so so you look at those moments and you say, okay, what went wrong here? And I think for St. Cloud, even as we looked, as we moved into the tail end of the regular season, that consistency piece was a big piece of, you know, if you go up to Duluth and you lose five to nothing there, you have to find a way to be consistent across all of your NCHC games because any team can beat you on any given night. And I think St. Cloud uh, playing above the level of your opponent, don't just match their level playing above that level and be willing to be the aggressor and take control of the game. Because as you mentioned, it's a young CC group that maybe doesn't know how to handle that emotional adversity sometimes take the more veteran presence and good returning classes that you have for St. Cloud state and use that to your advantage and be the more veteran and dominant team in those matchups. But that will do it for Colorado college, wishing them the best of luck, except against the St. Cloud state Huskies, of course, in the upcoming NCHC season, we're going to transition into our extra ice session. We're going to talk about the Minnesota wild as they're on the brink in a three to one deficit here against the Vegas golden Knights in the Stanley cup playoffs. And welcome into the Extra Ice Session. Nick, the Minnesota Wild, our hometown club, uh, unfortunately at this time of recording early on Sunday morning, down in a 3-1 to deficit here with their season on the line. This potentially could be the last time or basically the last time that we talk about Minnesota Wild hockey unless they can find a way to eke out four or three straight wins. Jeez, math is tough today. Three straight wins for four total wins here to punch their ticket to the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. In my personal estimation here, Nick, I think that the Minnesota Wild have played well enough in certain moments and in certain stretches to have this be a two-to-two series, but that's just not the way hockey works right now. What is your opinion of the Minnesota Wild right now? They've had some clunker moments. They've had some moments of brilliance. They haven't had a lot of consistency. How have you felt about this Minnesota club, and do they have a snowball's chance in hell of climbing back in and winning game seven of this series? Well, as we know, with Stanley Cup playoff history, if it was a wash enough, you're never out of it. You just never are. Minnesota Wild, back in 2003, you knew that twice in a row. Uh, down 3-1 to Colorado, down 3-1 to Vancouver. Um, there absolutely is a chance with this squad. Um, to, to I think the bigger question you're asking is what's working what wasn't working and what isn't working. Here's what is working. Um, not a lot. No, I'm totally kidding. Um, they're... The forecheck actually is working for them actually quite well, especially early in the hockey game. What isn't working is how they are trying to take that hard forecheck and trying to get into the danger areas of the ice. Vegas is being very, very good uh, in front of Mark Andre Fleury. I know that Fleury, and rightfully so, is getting a lot of credit for the performance that he has because he is coming up big when he is needed. But Vegas, the team in front of him, is making his job very, very easy, um, and I think in front of him. Uh, also, what isn't working is the power play, 0 for 8. That cannot happen. Um, a double minor um, last night as Zachary took a high stick from Zach Whitecloud. Um, you have to be able to take advantage of all those opportunities, and uh, Minnesota's power play was really, really bad, historically bad. Uh, first round of the regular season, then it was historically good. And now uh, we've come back down to uh, the historically bad section again. And unfortunately, as you know, Noah, that and for folks watching playoff hockey, sometimes at five on five, if, either, if there isn't really much uh, there, um, so the special teams can make or break a see, uh, make or break a series. And right now that um, is going to favor a Vegas who actually has a shorthanded goal um, against uh, the wild here so far uh, in the series, if not two, if I recall, is it one or two? I think it's just one. Is it just one? Wrong. Okay. I can't be thinking of the regular season also as well. Um, that one shocked me th- with the wild. 
Right. Um, also, they, they can't. What's not working is anything off the rush. There's there's no offense on the rush at all. And and number two, leaky defense, especially at key at key times. It's been uh, way too many odd man breaks uh, going against. And unfortunately, that is a requisite of your team trailing. Because uh, sometimes late in the game, you're down by one, down by two. Uh, you're forechecking, but again, you can't get shots through. So now you start to pinch your D. You start to activate them more. And uh, Vegas is the way way good structurally. Um, you, you can absolutely tell um, that Pete DeBoer, um, if there's been, he's gotten them to that extra level because with Gerard Gerlot, this team always was an offensive threat, but they were very susceptible defensively. Uh, Pete DeBoer has came in and really stabilized them defensively. They have some different players, too, that <laughs> I don't know how Mark Stone isn't a Selkie a finalist this year. He's been absolutely phenomenal. And one thing that should scare Minnesota Wild fans too, and I hate to say this, was they've been winning without Max Pacioretty and Tomas Nosek. Um, so th- those are guys that, you know, if, if you can win a series, win games without those two players in the lineup, I think Max Pacioretty definitely holds more weight than Nosek does. But what does that say if, what, if he is good to go um, on Monday against Minnesota in Vegas? That doesn't spell good uh, for this squad. It just doesn't. What has to change is you have to, I think you have to do some line juggling. I, I think you have to possibly reunite Victor Rask, Kaprizov, and Matt Zuccarello. He, that's the one big X to me is that Kaprizov has not been um, able to really do what he's been able to do. And I'll credit Vegas uh, for being very good. They put Mark Stone up against him a lot, especially in Vegas uh, at home. I was hoping that with last change, we get a more favorable matchup. And it's still, there's just not enough open ice for him. Um, and uh, uh, Ryan Hartman's played, I think, some pretty good hockey. But to me, uh, he's just not the type of centerman that is going to be most effective between those two. Um, it, so I don't know. Uh, there's a chance, yes, but it's not looking big uh, for the hometown Wild. And if there's anything, Noah, that is good that comes out of this, let's just say the Wild do end up losing on Monday and their season does end. It does show the need, I think, for a more explosive offensive center. And we talked about that in some previous episodes. And I think for Billy Garrett, he's going to have hopefully maybe some easier decisions to make with some players that may be returning on expiring contracts and some RFAs. Uh, so I think there's some exposing being done here by the Vegas Golden Knights uh, and that the Minnesota Wild. Although they've been better this season, and I think they've been a lot more fun to watch than years past. Still have uh, some ladders to climb to get to be a true contender for the Stanley Cup. Uh, I'm curious as to what you think is working and what's not working for this club, because uh, and I think a lot of it we would agree on, but I'm curious to see your take on it. When you're talking about that premier forward that the Wild want to add. You're talking about Zach Phillips, right? Um, exactly. <laughs> oh boy. Anyway, I. I think if you look back in this series, uh, and the reason I say that this could be two to two, uh, game one I thought Vegas was the slightly better team. Although Minnesota, they held they, they held in weather the storm, and I think they got better as the game went along. Game two was Minnesota's to lose. Uh, unfortunately, they were so good in game two. Game three was a clunker. Vegas deserved to win that one ten nothing. Um, yesterday's game, um, Minnesota. Like you mentioned, you ran into a team that has won the Jennings Trophy for being the best defensive team in the NHL. And I think that really showed last night. And as you mentioned, Minnesota down one to nothing, maybe played a little bit uh, with gripping the sticks too tight. I think that was kind of the culmination of that. And when you start to do that, you start to take chances. Quickly, it became three to nothing off of two defensive uh, pinches, if you will, in result of turnovers on top of that. So the puck was turnover with a defenseman that was either moving forward or a defenseman that was flat footed. Um, someone made the comment uh, the other night that Matt Dumba was minus two. Um, 
in that hockey game, specifically the goal where Alex Tuck came in and split the defenders and made that play. I, that play is not on Matt Dumba to me. You know, could he have maybe done more and tried to just step in front of Alex Tuck? Sure. But if you're a defenseman moving up the ice and the puck gets turned over that quickly with a guy who has a ton of speed and steps through, that's a difficult play. Like that's everyone wants to pinpoint Matt Dumb on that. And sure. He hasn't had the greatest series, but that <laughs> like, not all his fault. I said, really? that, that, that's a huge breakdown in defensive turnovers and coverage. It, like, and just to briefly add to that, no, I don't want to step on your, on your toes here, but um, if you want Matt Dumba to step in front of a truck and Alex Tuck, then yeah. you're drawing a penalty in the Vegas Golden Knights power play has been pretty good uh, throughout the season and the, and the playoffs. Yeah. If you didn't want Alex Tuck to do that, maybe don't give him away <clears throat> anyway. Oh, okay. So yeah, he's been a wild killer though. <laughs> there's, there's no, there's no looking around it. Um, the other thing is this, when Minnesota has had threatened the middle of the ice, Marc-Andre Fleury has done his job. That's the other thing, too, is that this reminds me a lot of the series back in, oh, I can't remember what year it was. Was it 15, 16, something like that? Maybe 17. It was the year Minnesota was great offensively, and Jake Allen suddenly had the one good playoff series of his entire career and stood on his head, especially in that game one. That's what it makes me think of is anytime Minnesota does get those opportunities, they're just not getting any puck luck. That's the other thing, too. Um, one guy that I think if you're Minnesota, you want to not only emulate, but continue to support is Kevin Fiala. I really liked, although he hasn't really been on the score sheet that much, Kevin Fiala, his poise with the puck, his ability to pick his way through the neutral zone, enter the offensive zone with speed is great. But the thing is when he's one on four, it's pretty easy to figure out who you have to cover. Right. So I think if you're wingers on that line, you know, or whoever's on the ice with them at that time, just drive the net, drive a lane, create some space for Fiala to be able to do something. Because I think that that's what Minnesota is missing. Like you mentioned is to get through the middle of the ice. Yes. You need those skilled players to threaten the middle of the ice, but you also need the guys without the puck to create some opportunities for you and create some space for those who are not well hockey versed, And that's probably including us, but the way the game of hockey works, the guy with the puck is the least important guy on the ice. Shocker. He's the least important guy on the ice at that particular point. The guys without the puck are the guys that make plays happen. Yes. Can you have nice individual plays? Minnesota besides Fiala and Kaprizov really don't have those guys that are going to go end to end Connor McDavid style rushes. The other thing I've actually been really happy with um, Kirill Kaprizov's play. I think the one thing that he's learning is that he's just going to have to be stronger on pucks. I think he's done a really nice job on the four check. I think he's done a really nice job you know, being hard on pucks, going through the gauntlet of cross checks that he's gone through. It's been kind of ridiculous, actually, that the amount of times that he's been tied up. Um, but I've actually been all right with his play. I think Vegas has just suffocated him great defensively just because that's their structure. Um, as far as goaltending is concerned for the Minnesota Wild, I thought Cam Talbot has been all right for the most part. You know, I thought that the, those two breakaways would have been nice to steal one there in last night's game to keep the Wild in the contest. But the Minnesota Wild, uh, with 10 minutes left in the third, shots were 29-14 in favor of the Wild. So what does that tell you uh, about it? Now, a lot of those plays could be perimeter chances, if you will. But nonetheless, Vegas was just opportunistic last night and took a very nice road win. So what has to change? threatening the middle of the ice you and i we've touched on this for the last five minutes here they have to find a way to the middle of the ice and create second chance opportunities or opportunities through traffic one thing that drives me absolutely bonkers and ian cole does it all the time nick but you know did it the other night too shoot the puck right away it does not have to be a booming slap shot it does not have to be a seeing eye puck that goes top cheddar as soon as you get a puck and you have bodies in front 
shoot it. Jared Spurgeon had a similar play in period number two of last night's game as well. He steps into the middle. He gets a great pass. He's on his backhand, mind you. Tries to thread a pass over to Zach Parise. You remember the play? And they broke that play up. Open your hands up. Pull that to your forehand. Shoot a puck. You're down near the slot, like near the hash marks. You got two bodies in front, a, a great battle in front. Shoot it. Like Now, now to your point – there's part of Vegas is, is influencing that because they've been very good at blocking perimeter shots um, from yeah. anybody on the wild. And so the, what that tells you is that, because again, you blocking shots means it's going the other way, right? That's also been yeah. contributing to some of those odd man rushes is at, at the end of it. That means that you're losing confidence. You know, really get the puck through. And now you're trying to make an extra pass that you don't need to be making to try to, you know, make something out of nothing in the player's mind there. So uh, I, I think, I think you're right there. Uh, it's just getting off quick and, and it doesn't matter. Keep it low, right? Yeah. Go low. And again, we, in the game of professional NHL hockey, that window or that little scene that opens up to get a puck through, it's not going to be there long. And again, if Ryan Suter, um, for, for a guy who maybe isn't the most fleet of foot anymore, if there's one thing he still does well is just, he, 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 when he, sees it, he just he just shoots it yeah. right and it's not always a hard puck but it doesn't matter if it gets there and you got bodies there it's all that matters i want to um before <laughs> before we look before we leave today no i want you to finish up your thought i want to give my thoughts on the disallowed goal um oh yeah Marcus. that was it's actually that's actually where we we're going what, what a crack of horse shit that was no but, but by def but by definition by definition, it is goaltender interference because it's of the even, fact that there's a foot and a butt. I, I'm totally taking your point. I'm so sorry. Um, no, it's fine. But it's, but let's talk about rule book versus integrity of the game. And I know that when you're <laughs> when you look at the rule book and you're reviewing that play for the NHL, I understand the decision they made. But I think if you're looking from a pure hockey perspective, does it look different than the rule book states? Hundred um, percent. You have to. I mean, it's just like. It's like basketball, right? You initiate the contact to draw the call. Mark, that's a savvy veteran move mm -hmm. by Mark Andre Fleury. Um, and, the, and the problem that I had with it from the rule books perspective is, and, and this is going to be, I think, a topic of conversation in years to come, is if Marcus Felino was out of the crease, and I think both feet were, it was close. And then when he turned, yeah, his back skate got in there. I don't think there was any way that that would have influenced the ability to make a save yeah make a save but the problem was if you and the overhead view i think is the one everybody focuses on right is that flurry on top of the crease is he pushes into felino and the puck goes by him and it appears again to me and i think to the most for folks that are hockey savvy he absolutely initiated contact I, to me there's no question on that but flurry knows Fleury has been – he's a smart goaltender. He knows that that call is going to go his way pretty much every single time. Um, if that goal – if that puck doesn't go in the net, we're not even talking about it, right? We're talking about a net, a net front battle with Mark Rondy Fleury. Uh, the question is going to be in years past or in, in, in years to come, I should say, is what is that line going to be for goaltender? If a goal – if you can deem a goaltender initiated the contact – does that take that away right now? It does not by the rule book. And I think that's the part that's most frustrating um, is, you know, if a goaltender initiates contact, you know, what does that mean? Um, does, you know, was it, there's so much gray area there. That's the problem, yeah. but it's a well, call. It's a call. Unfortunately, that was never going to go the wild's way. Unfortunately, in that situation just never was. Well, the other challenge too, is this it's, 
it's one thing to when when you set up as a forward in front of the net versus when you when you're reacting to the the puck that's coming towards you. I think that's where the other piece too is like it's all about it's all about a timing piece. There's essentially three. <laughs> sounds like a scientific like analysis but there's three stages of net front presence when when a defenseman is shooting a puck number one you got to get your ass to the crease right you got to set up in front that's that's it's the introductory phase if you will uh introducing yourself into in front of the blue paint number two body position this means that not only are your, are your hips square you're square to the shooter and uh your you're creating essentially your stick is in the middle of your body and you're available to deflect a puck in either direction at any time. Okay. So that's step number two is where you've set up your body, your positioning, and that's where you're going to be to create this play. Step three is the culmination of it all. The puck comes in, the defenseman tries to push you out of the way. The goaltender tries to either push you out of the way or make a save. That's where, that's where I think that you have to look at, um, if, if you're the NHL in this next step is where in the second phase of that, when he, you know, there are some plays where they're, they're roving tips, if you will, where guys skate across and tip the puck as they're skating across. But in that specific instance, if you look at Marcus Plino, he stops and sets up. You understand at that point, that's where he's going to be in that play for that split second. It's only a second or two. I mean, it's not like this big drawn out process, but he's only there for a second or two. I think you look at where was he in the previous second versus where is he now? And it's like, has Marcus Foligno moved? How much did Marcus Foligno move? You know what Here's, I mean? I'll, I'll take that one step further. I, I think what has to be the defining factor moving forward. And, and I think this is like a good, a good place to, to, to be wrap uh, wrap up the conversation is I think the NHL has to dictate, was he trying to make a save or was he trying to push physical contact? Buy a call. Yeah. Right. So, and I think that has to be the next sort of definition and, added. And, maybe. And, and, and that's what I'm saying is if you see a player that's set in phase number two or whatever you want to call it, the goaltender, it's on the onus of the goaltender to now focus on making a save similar to the players focused on making a redirect. If you see a goaltender who uh, then initiates contact in between those, those fleeting moments, then you know that their focus is no longer making a save. Their focus is, creating as much contact as possible. If that makes sense. I know it's like, it yep. makes sense in my head. And I, if I, we had it on the screen, it'd be a lot easier to so, explain. But. So a couple, I'll help you if you don't mind. Thank so you. if, if Marcus Foligno is outside the blue plane and escapes, he has every right to that ice as the goaltender does. But if you by video review deem that the goaltender is trying to create his own space more, meaning he, he doesn't like the fact that he's there and he's instead of engaging a save engaging in the player, meaning he's pushing on him, trying to give himself more space. If you deem that he's trying not to make a hockey save, are we starting to sound like football again? What the hell is a catch? I think so. <laughs> um, but, but I think that's where that could be tweaked. And the problem is, does that provide clarity? Maybe. Does it provide more obscurity? Probably. Um, so it, it's still a judgment call either way, but I do feel like, you know, there has to be a little bit more, of an avenue for the referees to make a subjective call that says, you know, was he really trying to make a save here or was he really trying to buy a call there? You know, the, the, we now have diving in the at the NHL. That's a call um, as horrendous as I've seen them call or not call that times. I do feel like in these situations where goaltender interference, which can decide a game. Yeah. I think this was like, that game was a one, one game at that. That was a one, point. one game. Yeah. I think there has to be an avenue for the referees to, 
to ask the question, you know, was he attempting to make a save or was he engaging physically with the defender in front of him who was legally outside the crease? And did he essentially give himself less of a chance to make the save and not the player in front of him? Yeah. I think, I think that has to be the, the change in verbiage uh, at some point. Well, we love subjective calls in the NHL. They usually go well, right? Especially with goal interference. Okay, so final, <laughs> final question, final verdict. Nick, you saw it live. When you saw it live, in your opinion, I guess even after the fact, in your opinion, goal or no goal? I thought it was a goal, honestly. Um, I, I really felt like, um, when you, especially when you watched over a cam, uh, Felino is stationary. He's not backing into Mark Randy Fleury. And more importantly, his feet were outside of the crease. To me, he has every right to be in that white, uh, white ice. And for Fleury, if you're going to go up to the top of your crease, that's fine. But if you initiate the contact, in my personal opinion, that to me should be a goal for the Minnesota Wild. I don't know how it's Marcus Felino's fault that when he's standing in the ice that he clearly can stand in, why? Because the goaltender wants to be above the crease, we'll call it, right, for hockey lingo, or on top of it, if he bumps into him, why that is the offensive player's fault and why the goaltender just has to be a bit better working on. To me, that's a goal. Uh, it shouldn't have been called back, in my personal opinion. I think that's got to be something that the league has to look at uh, for years moving forward. Same. I thought that majority, 95% of Felino's body was outside the crease and that, and the 5% that was there was not even in play until Marc-Andre Fleury very smartly made it part of the play. Um, so I definitely agree. It should have been a goal as well, but if you're the Minnesota wild, take some keys from Marcus Felino. Don't change that mentality at all. Continue to get traffic and bodies in front of the net and it's desperation time backs against the wall, the Minnesota wild looking to climb back with three straight victories to punch their ticket to the second round. That will do it for episode number 62 of the Huskies warming house podcast. We've got Josh Fenton and CHC commissioner on the docket for next week. I'll be a potentially a little bit later for the healthy scratch interview this upcoming week, Brett Larson, potentially Scott Sandlin and a whole lot more coming to you from the Huskies Warming House podcast, as well as episode 63, of course, on Sunday. We'll see you back here in the den, and thanks for joining us. One-timer coming, they score! In for a chance to win it, he scores! Kirill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game-winner! St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.